This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 383. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I am super excited to introduce to you a special episode with a special guest. This will be relatively brief as far as intros go. This interview was recorded while at SHOT Show 2020 in the Sig Sauer booth. And uh, Sig Sauer was so kind to invite us in and use part of their booth to record these interviews this week. And our very first guest was none other than the great Max Michelle, team captain and pro shooter for Team Sig Sauer. I had a great time talking with him about a variety of things, shooting-wise, competition-wise, mindset-wise. I thought it was a fantastic episode, so I, I really hope that you enjoy this one here today. Now, whereas Sig Sauer was kind enough to bring us in and help us out with producing this podcast today, well, they are our honorary sponsor, so give Sig Sauer some love. Head on over to SigSauer.com and check out their full lineup of pistols and other great products. And I mean, geez, <laughs> pistols, obviously, because this is... Well, we're talking pistol shooting primarily with Max, but they've got a full lineup now of handguns and semi-automatic rifles and bolt-action rifles, a brand new cross rifle from Sig Sauer announced uh, just here at this SHOT Show. Uh, new round chambered in that rifle, the 277 Sig Fury. That's kind of exciting to see. In fact, i got an episode coming up later this week with Daniel Horner, and we go kind of in-depth on on some of that. That was, that was a lot of fun. And uh, so... I'm not going to, you know, spend too much time here, but hey, if you wanted to get some SHOT Show updates and kind of follow us along with the various uh, new releases and product announcements, head on over to concealedcarry.com and follow the news right there on our blog. So without further ado, why don't we get right into it? So I will spool up the tape here and let's roll that interview. All right, welcome. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, and I am pleased to have with me Max Michelle captain of team sig uh been there a while now and still tearing it up <laughs> even in your old age yes yeah i guess you could say that yeah <laughs> i'm just teasing you. no but yeah you're right <laughs> get older every day yeah uh yeah so we actually had you on the podcast i think two shot shows ago it was, we recorded right. it out at the uh, range together with uh, lena that was a fun time yep. uh and uh now i'm really you know pleased to have you on for a second time yeah man happy to be here you know, Appreciate in two years me. a lot changes yeah it does yeah uh but uh you're still dominant out there in the carry optics well, world yeah uh really laying it down in an impressive manner Thanks. uh and i'm looking forward to actually picking your brain a little bit today because just this last year i started shooting uspsa actually officially for the first time officially i've kind of shot some action pistol here and there but mostly i'm a three gunner Okay. And then my son wanted to get into th to three-gun with me. And he's 12, 13 now, actually. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. All right. So we go shoot some matches. And then I see the ammo bill. And I'm like, hey, bro, like maybe we should uh, go uh, uh, just shoot some, some USPSA. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a little bit easier on the pocketbook. <laughs> you know, no, not three different uh, rounds, you know, you know, shotgun, rifle, pistol. We'll just, we'll just get some good right. quality 9 mil and, you know, go hit the range. <laughs> He's like, okay, cool, whatever. So um, uh, I shot, you know, uh, 
production basically and then i'm like well let's try this carry optics thing because i want to learn how to use the optic better right played around a little bit so you're the master of it because well, uh, i don't know so about dominant. that but thank you yeah so man. i mean that's the kind of the context so max uh kind of start off actually with the optics thing a little bit uh because it is gaining a lot of steam i mean yeah, we're seeing sure. so many products now being released with optics uh, of course, we have the P365XL. We have the whole new SIG RXP lineup. Right, you know, yeah. that Everything we're doing is, has an optic now, for sure. Right. And I think you're going to see that more and more now. I'm fortunate and blessed that I've been shooting for literally 30 years. I've been competing. It's crazy to think that. But I started competing when I was 8 years old. And I probably shot iron sights for maybe 2 years. And then I had a red dot. So I've been running a red dot for almost 30 years on yeah. a pistol, and it's really unheard of for some folks, but in the competition world, it's very common. Guys have been shooting yeah. red dots for a long time, and not to bore you with a bunch of details, but just kind of give you a little bit of history on that. So let's just say, you know, USPSA or IPSC is maybe what it was called way back in the day in the late 70s when it was formed, and then USPSA kind of came around in the early 80s, and then... Uh, it was one division. It was just a single stack 45, essentially, with iron sights. And then yeah. something really cool came along, a single port comp, you know. And then, then it was a 38 Super was changed. They could put more rounds in the mag. And then all of a sudden, in the early, probably the early 90 time frame, um, the Red Dot came on. You know, and it was a guy, uh, Jerry Barnhart. I'm sure yep. people heard the name before, Jerry Barnhart. He put a, a Red Dot optic on his gun, I think it's like the 92 Nationals or something like that. And he won. He won by a good, a good margin. He won the match. And it was that same year. I think it was 90 or something like that. But that same year, a great friend of mine, Doug Koenig, he put an optic sure. on his gun. And they went to the world shoot. And he won the world championship. And they, that lasted for probably a couple of years where some guys were shooting irons. A couple guys were shooting uh, red dots. And then it became a point where the USPSA and the organizations that we shoot said, hey, we need two divisions because the red dot is just that much better. Right. So I just, it's kind of a... Long way of saying the red dot, it, it's it's so much easier. It allows you to be so much more, so much faster, so much more accurate, um, and it's kind of unfair if you don't have one. So that's why they split it up into two divisions way back then. Um, but yeah, I love running the red dots, and like I said, I've been doing it for a very long time. And the IPSC world and USPSA has kind of been that test bed for many products in our right. sport or in our industry. But uh, the red dot in particular, it really wasn't. And it's starting to become more popular now. You know, guys. I don't know, 20 years ago, it was kind of a weird thing when you had a red dot on your rifle. You know, now it's, that's the norm. And I think you're going to see that. Um, but what turned people away initially was, is it going to work? Is the battery right. going to last? What happens if it's fogged? There's so many things Are that Are the electronics going to hold up? So that's gonna, right. Yeah, yeah. And to be totally honest, I mean, we started doing red dots at SIG a handful of years ago. Um, and we've gotten so much better in that span. I think... As an industry, we're finally at a spot where we have optics that can really work and work well. Yeah. Um, because I'm one of those guys who shot an optic, like I said, back in the early 90s. And as that went on, I, sometimes my optic didn't work. Sometimes it did work. And it was always it would blink off and on. But now at SIG and the optics that we have here, I'm totally confident. And I, in fact, I transition a lot of law enforcement and military guys over to the red dots on their pistols as we speak. You know, I'm doing that with some of the guys. And it's interesting to see. And I give them the same speech. It's like, hey, five years ago, I don't know if I could have done this for you. You know, I was shooting in competition, but now we have a product that can last and that can hold up. And uh, that's, that's a blessing for these guys because they will be more accurate and faster on the gun. Yeah, yeah. That, so, you know, this is actually, so speed is something that people talk about, obviously. <laughs> and, and there is a, a, di a bit of a difference between, say, an open division gun with, you know, a frame-mounted optic, right? It's yeah. not reciprocating, not moving. And then, of course, you've gone from open, was probably seven, eight years or so ago now to... Yeah, a handful of years. To, it's to carry optics, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, that you're a phenomenal shooter, obviously. I mean, 
did you experience any transition? Like, was it different enough for you, even going from a non-reciprocating yeah. optic to, to it was reciprocating quite a bit one? different. It was yeah. quite a bit different. Yeah, because I was used to the frame-mounted optics for so many years, and the gun would just lift and just come right back down to the target, and there was no additional movement after that. And, and then just going switching to you know the the 320 platform exclusively, uh, then running putting a red dot on it. I saw a different kind of motion in that dot. So all that meant was I, I just needed to figure the gun, the timing of the gun out. I don't shoot off of timing, but I like to understand the timing of the gun so I kind of have a more predictable pattern of what's going to happen and how the gun's going to stabilize. And then after that, once I started, once I knew, hey, I need to be more visually patient on this because there's going to be a little bit additional movement, mm. uh, then I just started tweaking the gun to get it the way I wanted it. Yeah. And as you see in the X5 Legion, which I know maybe we'll talk about that in a bit too, but Absolutely. as you see in the Legion, uh, you know, it's now shipping with a couple of different springs. Um, it's a heavier gun. And these are all things that I've done for the last few years to my 320s and my X5s and that's kind of how the Legion was born but um, you know with myself and some of the guys that we work with here at SIG but so anyway the, the gun stabilizes much faster for me now so I am I am seeing almost like an open gun type of sight picture at this moment and the dot never leaves the glass with my new optic as well because it's a little bit larger field of yeah, view which we'll chat taller. about that as well yeah. but yeah it's a little taller and the gun lifts up a lot of those optics are kind of short and wide which is great for transitions, but when the gun goes bang, you lose it, um, and it becomes challenging. So, uh, but yeah, I think that's part of you know the, the red dot experience is being able to understand the dot movement and accept less when you can and accept more when you need to, and that's the challenge that we have to, and we'll discuss that as well. But that's the challenge, like, hey, the acceptability of the dot movement. What is it? You yeah. know, what what is acceptable? So, um, there was a change from open to carry optics. It was. Uh, but it didn't take me very long to get the hang of it and get get into the swing of it, and it was uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's a challenge because you're still running a production gun. You're not running a five thousand dollar race gun. Um, yeah, standard Magwell, yep. you know all that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, yeah. so and I've done a lot to the gun to get it right, but you know, at the end of the day, it's um, it's just different. So you can't take any shots off. But the red dot teaches you a story, and you have to be ready to accept that story and read it. Uh, don't anticipate, but read it and react to what you're seeing, and uh, it's a lot of fun doing it. Can we? Can I pick at that a little bit? Because sure. I, I I like the way you're wording that. Uh, and so, what what do you mean when you say, like, what's ex how did you say it a second ago? You said something about uh, being willing to accept it. Yeah, being willing to accept less and or accept more depending on. Right. So for me, I have three different types of sight pictures that I use with an iron sighted pistol, and I'll mm. do the same thing with a red dot. So mm. it's. Uh, I always tell guys, you know, if you use an acronym DOT, you know, you know, you got to determine, uh, you know, what type of DOT movement is acceptable, observe that DOT movement, and then touch off the shot. It's kind of just a cheesy acronym I came up with for DOT, for red DOT, right? But uh -huh. essentially what it is, it's, it's what I call my flash, floating, and focused. Mm -hmm. And it's all based upon movement. If the target or the threat is within a reasonable distance, maybe it's at five to seven meters, well, I don't need the DOT to be completely stable. Right. Now, some guys have trouble with that. Some guys, because they have such a great background of patience and follow through, which is all good, good things to have as a shooter, but they also have uh, maybe they want it to be so perfect, right? They're so perfect. And, and now that they have a red dot, they can put them in the same exact hole every shot because they're, they're that good and they can use that red dot to their advantage. But at the end of the day, what's acceptable to me is I always say a softball size group. If I can shoot a softball size group as fast as I possibly can, that's what I want to do. And depending on the distance or the difficulty of that shot will determine how much dot movement is acceptable for that. So if the dot's moving around quite a bit at five yards and it's no problem, but that target goes 25 yards now, that same amount of dot movement is literally off the target, mm -hmm. right? But so it's sure. going to take me more time to allow that dot to stabilize. So anyway, going back to the flash, 
be that dot is just flashing all around the center of that target, kind of coming through recoil, bouncing all around. It's okay to have that movement. As long as it's moving within the center of the target, I'm breaking the shot. The floating sight picture would be kind of that mid-range distance, let's say 7 to 12, 7 to 15 yards, uh, where the gun flashes down to the target in recoil or flashes in movement, uh, and then it kind of starts to stabilize. So it, so it goes from kind of bouncing around to just kind of floating on that target. And, and then again, if it gets even further than that, 15 to 25 yards or beyond, I'm going to have that flashlight picture coming into place. It's going to kind of start to float on the target, and then it's going to be completely stable. Yeah, you got to stabilize as, it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Or as much as your normal arc of movement right. will allow you to stabilize, right? right? So, but it's not just distance. It's also difficulty. It could be a five-yard headshot. You, know, you could have three at a competition. Let's say you have three targets in front of you, and you got two on the outsides that are wide open and one in the middle that has a hostage-type situation. You know, so you might want to shoot at a speed in which you can still get the A's or still get the center of the target at a high rate of speed here, but that same shot pattern up top on the, on the middle target on a headshot, let's say, is going to be a lot more challenging to do that. So I need to have a flashlight picture, a focus sight picture, and a flashlight picture. And these are things I'm thinking about while I'm shooting or as I'm preparing the shoot. Um, but ultimately, I just read the dot, and when it's stable enough, I break the shot. One thing that was a bit of a kind of a learning moment for me mm -hmm. is you, you talk about guys, you know, picking up a red dot and, you know, They've been shooting irons for their whole life or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, they pick up the dot, and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, there's so much movement. You know, and it can be almost almost discouraging and disorienting. At least it was for me at first, the first time I shot a pistol on a, with a red dot. Um, but then the thing that clicked for me, and I, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this, was that the difference there is that the gun's still moving the same amount, right? <laughs> but, but your frame of reference on the sights, you know, that movement is very small, very almost yeah. negligible, right? Sometimes you don't even see it. But then what that dot is doing is it's actually it's where that dot is where the bullet's going to go, right? right? So you're actually seeing what the what the is a lot harder for me to see my iron sights and realize is that acceptable based on that particular shot? But you see exactly yeah how you know how acceptable Man, is acceptable, dot, right? You know that's right. That dot just doesn't lie. I mean, whatever yeah. you're doing, whether it's breathing. Uh, maybe if you're trying to shoot on the move, when you know when you're moving a certain way, that dot is going crazy, and right. or entering and exiting positions, trying to stabilize that dot, transitioning the gun from target to target, it's a challenge. It's the same thing the iron sights are doing. We just physically can't see it. Yeah. So with that said, I think the the red dot is a self-correcting tool. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, again, if you read it and react to it and understand it and listen to the story that it's telling you, it's a self-correcting tool in that regard, and it'll make you better when you go back to the irons. And I think that's the thing that I want people to understand too. Uh, I have young kids that shoot, my, my, my children, and they all started with a red dot, a 22 and a red dot. Um, and some guys, you know, some buddies of mine are like, oh, why are you teaching them with a red dot? They're never going to learn the true way of how to shoot a gun. And I'm like, well, in my opinion, the red dot is just going to help them because they're already the Nintendo generation kids that are going to play Fortnite <laughs> and do all these other crazy things, right? right. So their hand-eye coordination is awesome already. So let them just have fun. Don't make it hard on them. And then if I ever want to bring them to, a, to iron sights, I just teach them how to, how to align the sights. That's right. it. Everything right. else is the same. And the dot is going to teach them so much more. It's so much more valuable. So I would say that let's make sure that we, uh, you know, we're using the dot as a tool. And when you get discouraged, because it's so easy to do that, nobody likes change. You know, so when, when I'm, I'm working with 25-year-old young men coming into a branch of service or into a government agency, all the way up to 50-year-old guys, maybe maybe more, that are already within that agency and been there for 30 years. Yep. Um, so they don't want to change. Or if they do and, they, and they, they mount the red dot and they can't find it, and they're like, where the hell is this thing? Where is it at? I mean, give me my irons back. But I just say, let's give it some time. It's a challenge now. But once you learn and understand 
how to acquire the dot and how to use the dot, um, it'll be you'll be so much better because yeah. of it. And I think one of the cool things too is I'm starting to see Riley is that the, the scores are going up incredibly through the agencies and the, and the folks that I'm working with. They're just blowing the scores through the yeah. roof because of the red dot. Yeah, yeah, I I I, I absolutely buy that because. For me, if I can train my brain to only take a shot when I have the, the acceptable sight picture I need to see, it's so much easier to see it with the dot. You know, yeah. I see I either the dot's on the target or it's not. Yeah. Again, going back to my iron sights, like, I, you, over time you kind of learn that's acceptable, that's not acceptable. Right. But that's a harder, it's more ambiguous concept to learn. So, so I think if you, for me, as I've trained the brain to, okay, take the shot only when I see the dot where it needs to be, and it's pretty hard to miss. Right. Right? That's right. So... As long as, you know, I mean, your trigger mechanics, all that, or you right. know, grip, all that's pretty solid. So um, one thing you, you touched on a little bit, this is a hard transition for a lot of shooters, is they're presenting out to the target and the dot's not there. Yeah. So, you know, obviously a presentation's an important part of getting the gun out on target. It's important even with iron sights, but it becomes doubly important with something that doesn't quite have as much forgiveness as far as whether that dot's going to be in the window or not. So how do you teach someone as they're learning that? I, I break it down into steps. So we, we break the draw stroke down into steps. So I don't just have guys drawing from the holster immediately, even though they've drawn for the holster for however many years they've been right. shooting or wherever they're at. But um, the best way to do that is do with the simple target presentations and dry fire. So you're sitting down, you're watching a movie at the house, or you know, you're watching a TV show, and in between, you know, maybe it's a commercial or something, and you just, what I call position two or the high ready position, you start here, mount the pistol, find the dot. Maybe press the trigger, maybe not all the way back. Just kind of press the trigger till you feel the engagement, let off, and come back down. And just repeat that several times over and over and over again. We want it to become muscle memory. We want, we want it to be when we mount the pistol and we throw the gun up on the target, the dot's going to be there. Um, there's a lot of technique that goes with that, but I think we need to make sure that we're putting in the reps as much as possible uh, to understand and learn that muscle memory. Um, and we do it slowly. We don't want to go fast because if we go fast and dry fire, we remember two things, the beginning and the end. That's it. You remember the buzz went off and you couldn't find the dot or whatever whatever you're working on right so i work a lot of my dry fire is done at half speed so i can really talk myself step by step through the numbers mm. of what it is i'm trying to do and if i can't find the dot i'll stop and i'll look at, i'll kind of get a feel for where my hands are look at where my position is and my my body why is it not there um, but ultimately it's just working those target presentations over and over and over again and it's very important from a technique standpoint to make sure we're stabbing the gun straight toward that target yeah. Some guys will bring the gun over the top of the target, or they'll kind of come from down below, and you can't acquire the dot until it's already on the target, and it's challenging to do that. So when I come out of the holster, my muzzle goes straight down range, and I'm bringing my third point of contact, which is my index finger, my nine shooting hand going underneath the trigger guard, mm -hmm. and as I'm pushing out to that target, I'm rotating that left hand or my support right. hand to get the grip that I need uh, for speed shooting, but I'm also pushing straight toward that target. It's coming up slightly, but it's going straight toward that target, and the dot comes into play. And as soon as it's acceptable, I'm breaking that shot. So I would say to work on the finding your dot is just work on that target presentation over and over and over again. And you may find that you have to kind of dip your hands or kind of torque your hands forward, especially your support hand, tor torque it forward slightly. It'll help you with recoil management, but it'll also help bring that dot into play. Mm. I, I will tips. say one more thing, too, as well, is a lot of the guys who are running red dots will probably have a backup sight. So. Yeah. I don't use a backup sight for competition. Sure. I just like to see kind of my open gun but, days. But the, you know, LEOs and Yeah, LEO guys, yeah. military guys, look, if you can't find the dot, look for that front sight and the dot will appear yep. if it's working. Because that's the first thing I talk, tell guys with a down optic drill. Hey, if you can't find the dot, switch to your backup. 
and the dot will probably come back because you think, hey, this thing's not working, but you just can't find it. Yeah. So once you find that front sight, the dot's going to be there most likely. If you think about it, especially from a tactical perspective, that really should be the, the default because it could be you don't find adult, uh, the dot because the optic actually quit working. Right? right, so you right. don't see a dot like you should be training yourself. That's I think it. to That's go to the, number go to the one irons. Thing. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. good, good, good. So um, let's talk real quick about uh, you're running. Obviously, are you running the actual tungsten infused grip on, I am. on your current yep. gun? Yeah, I'll tell you, man, that thing is like <laughs> witchcraft, brother. I mean, it is cool. You know, so Phil sent me the, the Legion, the new X5, and I've been playing with it. Shot a couple of matches with it, and. Actually went through a whole class too, a three day with uh, Rob Latham and Mike Seeklander. Awesome you man, know, good dudes. Which, which was really great because I, I was like, I need to learn the dot a little bit better, uh, and that was a great opportunity. Two thousand cool. round class, you know, with two good fun, dudes, yeah. you know, to get a lot of reps <laughs> with that dot. And so I tell you, that thing is unreal. I had personally never experienced what it was like, except on an open gun, uh, to which I don't know, but I've tried a few. I've never experienced not having the dot leave. The glass, yeah, you know, and, and shooting that tungsten, that really heavy, you know, what yeah. 42, 43 ounce gun, uh, with correct mechanics and everything, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, my right. dot went to the top of the window, but it <laughs> stayed there. there. That was yeah. like, that was a magical experience. It is cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm running those two now, so. Uh, yeah, um, I'm really enjoying it. You know, and I, I even put in a uh, tungsten god rod as well. So yep. my guns are like right at 44 ounces and change with an optic. I take the magwell off because I can't use it for competition anyway. Right. So I take that weight and I move it somewhere it, else. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, it's it's so incredibly soft to shoot. Yeah, unreal. I did some slow mo video from the side when I first got that oh, thing. Cool. You know, just doo, doo, doo. Yeah. oh, unreal. <laughs> so the X5 Legion, really cool gun. I mean, did, you talked about. Uh, I mean, you obviously have had some input in product development here at SIG. I mean, you're sh you're the top SIG shooter as far as you know that, especially as pistols go. Right. Yeah, and pistols. so, uh, you know, what what is your current setup, and like, what have you learned that has kind of made its way now into our, the current iteration of guns? Yeah. So I think kind of going to what you were talking about, the heaviness. That's that's the real big thing, right? So we had the 320s some years ago. Yep. Uh, which I shot in competition for a while. And then once the carry optics division came out, I mounted an optic to it. So I started doing that for a while. Um, but I, at that time, I was looking for a slightly longer gun, slightly heavier gun, maybe a slightly different grip, and uh, you know, just wanted to add some weight. One of the things I wanted to do also was get a full-length guide rod in there so I can run 1911 springs, so I can spring it the way I wanted it yeah. to for my own ammo kind of a thing. Um, this was before we had the SIG ammo stuff going on at that point, too. So it just kind of kept developing, and then that's when we had the X5. So essentially that was a full 5-inch you know, gun. Um, and uh, adjustable sights, and you know, you had a different type of a grip. It just a, it was a little bit different, more of a competition feel to it rather than more of a LE type feel to the gun. Yeah. And then once I got that, I found a guy out in Virginia, uh, Alma Cole, who was a real was a real good friend of mine, been helping me out for a while. Alma's a great dude. Yeah, good dude. And ever since I since I joined Sig, he was like, he reached out to me and was like, hey, whatever you need, I'm I'm a Sig guy. I like doing these things. So mm -hmm. uh, he really helped me out and got me a heavier grip. Um, when I was again, when I was running the X5 at this time, you know, he he filled the grip with tungsten and and kind of coated it with a certain coating and uh, to make sure I had traction that I was looking for, you know, tw you know, tweak it this way and that way. Anyway, he made it fit me really well and made it a little heavier. And then he he was the one who sent me the first tungsten guide rod I ever ever tried in that gun. Uh, so I put the tungsten guide rod in it, so then I was able to change the springs. Um, and then we started developing SIG ammo at that time. The Match Elite stuff, the 147 grain stuff is awesome. So the gun was running beautifully. Um, so And then, of course, you know, Phil Strader is a 
hell of a shooter himself and he yeah. knows what shooters want and um and he sees what i'm doing and he knows what he wants and we kind of put it together and, and now you see that x5 legion where it's a I mean, at a price point where anybody can grab it for, I don't know, a thousand bucks or whatever it is. And, yeah. and it's really near, actually under probably now. But it's just really neat to see how it developed to where it's a, a heavier gun at the moment. Um, you know, and it comes with a full length guide rod already, comes with the two springs, depending on what ammo you're running. Um, and it's just, of course, it's um, optic ready as well. Um, it's, it's definitely really neat to see how it all developed. And, and more importantly, I'm just happy and honored to that that i get to kind of be a part of it you know i mean phil obviously knows what he's doing and, and the company has him at, the, at their disposal at any moment but yep. phil and i are great friends and we you know we bounce ideas off of each other and and we we kind of yeah we worked on it together and it's awesome um, it's kind of his project but it was some things i wanted to push in there as well absolutely that's that's great uh that tungsten fused grip i mean i'll tell you that when that was announced i mean who saw that coming i didn't see that right. coming i'm sure you had a little <laughs> heads up but I was just like, what? You know, just, yeah, yeah. it's really, really, really cool. Uh, super cool gun. It, I'm running the Romeo 1. I still don't have the Romeo 1 Pro yet, so I took my original X5 slide, put it on the Legion. Yeah. So it's not a true Legion quite yet, but uh, uh, you're running the Romeo 3 Max. Is that Correct. right? Yep. That's your new optic? Yep. So uh, tell us about that. And how is that different from, say, Romeo 1? Yeah, so the Romeo 1 is, uh, is, a, is a little wider. Right. Um, a little shorter, and I was just looking for an optic. Honestly, when I started designing this optic, uh, almost three years ago now probably, but uh, I, I was going to put it on an open gun. That's That was my intent, mm -hmm. to not just for me, but for our sport. And then I saw people maybe putting it on like a PCC, MPX type of a thing, yeah. and um, I, I, that's where I saw it going. And then when I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this carry optics things full-time. I'm going to go full-time into this. I love the I love the, the game. I love the, the, the setup for it. Um, so I wanted to make sure that it wasn't too big and bulky, but I wanted it to be a larger field of view, something that you know competitive shooters and speed shooters would want, and everybody could benefit from as well. I mean, I don't know if you want to carry it, but you know, there's guys out there who may want to have it on, on a home defense gun or whatnot because you can shoot more, you can shoot, uh, you can see more through the optics, right. so you probably can shoot a little faster. Um, but yeah, so that was my thing. As I wanted it to be a large field of view, I wanted it to be a cir circular window. Uh, my eyes just kind of line up things really well with you know with circles and I, so i wanted that um but more importantly i wanted it to work 100 percent of the time and i wanted it to have a super clean glass and a very bright dot because other optics that i was working with before i was with sig optics was um i was having issues with that like i was having issues where i would especially in vegas we're here in vegas right now we did some demos here this week while right. we're at the range day um yeah that like bright dirt that bright dirt yeah. and then those white targets and the sun yeah. gleam you know beaming off of it the dot just gets washed out. That was the issue I was having before. I was always changing batteries. Almost every week I was changing batteries just to try to do what I could. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a problem. But so that, so this is the, the things I presented to the engineers and they're way smarter than me. <laughs> so they came back and said, hey, this is what we have for you. Check it out, try it out. And I, I looked it over and I absolutely loved it. You know, we tweaked a few things to it. Um, but the glass, it was almost, it's almost like when you mount it to the target, the housing is so thin and the glass is so large, it's like it's almost like you're looking through nothing. It's like you're just looking, you're just looking at the target, and it happens to be a dot floating there. Right. So it's really, really cool, and um, it just holds it zero really well. It's very durable, very rugged. You know, we mounted it on some 357 SIGs, and we reciprocated that slide. I think it was 30,000 times in testing with no failure, and wow. I, and the battery just lasts as well. I I never change my battery unless I'm like freaked out. Hey, I'm going to a big match. I better change it just in case. Yeah. 
but it's just a, a heck of an optic and i'm super excited that it's finally out it's been out for about six months i guess or eight months we've been shipping now yep. um, and we have another large shipment that we're getting ready to start shipping out here pretty soon very cool yeah uh i might have to check it out <laughs> yeah, no, you really will like it, especially, you know, with running that Legion. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Romeo 1's great. Uh, don't get me wrong, I have a lot of Romeo 1's and Romeo 1 Pros. Um, but for me and what I do, I just wanted that larger field of view, uh, and it's uh, it definitely fits the Legion really well. Yeah, excellent. Cool, good stuff. Uh, all right, so, again, you've had a successful year, won Nationals again. Uh, you know, what, what, what's the plan for 2020? Keep, keep winning, right? Yeah, keep winning, man, because uh, I do my best to um, hopefully one of these days I'll be like, uh, you know, Rob Latham and Jerry Michalek and those guys and be doing it till I'm 50, 60 years old. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at some point the, the, the good wins are going to stop. That's just life. Yeah. And uh, I'm 38 years old now. Um, blessed to be with SIG and a great company that backs me and supports me. And I've won so much. As you mentioned, you know, the carry optic stuff has been really going well for me. I've been undefeated in that for four straight years now. And uh, since the existence of it, I've the only guy who won the nationals. Like, it's this really cool thing to be a part of and to have for SIG and say, hey, this gun has done that. Um, but I know that's going to stop some, at some point. But I'm hoping it's not 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm working hard. I'm working my tail off, whether it's in the gym or vision training and all the different things that I do because uh, I'm just a shooting nerd that I love to be <laughs> a student and learn and get better. Um, but so 2020, my focus is going to be uh, we have the world championship in Thailand. And that's a, right around Thanksgiving, early December time frame. So that's my focus, man. Everything is going to be geared toward that. I have won the world championship before, right. um, which was awesome. There's a lot of amazing shooters who haven't won that because we only get—it's like our Olympics. We only get one shot every three years, you know, and and you have to be physically and mentally ready on that time, and or, or you got to wait three more years. <laughs> yeah, so it's a very, very challenging thing to win. So I'm blessed that I have won it, but I might want to be a little greedy and get another one, especially in Got winning to defend it. the title. That's right. I'd love to win it with the 320 and with my yeah. optic and Idris be real, it'd be, it'd be an honor to do that for SIG. Um, mm. But it's going to take a lot of work, you know, and it starts, it's already started, but it's, yeah. you know, it's the, it does, the work doesn't end, but I'm hoping to get through this season um, and, and grow as a competitor, uh, grow as a, as, as an athlete. Um, but, but also I want to be able to provide and, and give back. So I'm working with a lot of law enforcement guys now. And of course my military background, I still love the military folks I work with, but kind of this new passion for me is, uh, kind of law enforcement guys and, and helping them because a lot of them are starting to transition to that red dot. Yep. And I think that, you know, 30 years with the red dot or 20 something years with the red dot and competing at the highest level against some of the best guys in the world. I'm finally at a point where the wins are great. I love the winning. Um, and I don't want to stop winning, but. I want to start giving more back because that, that transition from pro shooter max to brand ambassador max is going to happen at some point. And I want to always be an ambassador of our great industry and uh, to be able to give back to those of the knowledge that I've learned over the years to uh, help protect themselves and get them back home to their families. Yeah, oh, that's really great. Uh, I'm curious about your own personal uh, training regimen. I mean, are, are you constantly constantly pushing yourself do you take breaks at all do you kind of ramp things up as you're approaching a big match i mean how do you approach yeah that? so nowadays it's more so ramping things up as i get closer to the big matches because uh, i'm kind of forced into breaks because i do so many so much traveling so many shows and demonstrations and store openings or classes yeah. um, and i have three kids so you know married we have yeah. a lot of things going on so uh you're kind of forced into breaks 
because life gets in the way, just like everybody else. You know, when I was 20, no, there was no breaks. I was I would shoot a thousand rounds a day, five days a week for eight to ten months out of the year. It was just nonstop, wow. literally. It, wow. it was it was incredible. <laughs> um, but you know, then life gets in the way, and yeah. if you want to make a living at shooting, it's not by going win t- going win titles. You know, you have to hold up your end of the bargain in several different ways. And and I love every part of the industry, and that's part of the problem too. It's like I want to develop products, I want to go promote products, I want to go meet people, I want to go spread the word of our industry and our sport. And then oh by the way, I want to win a championship too. So I'm always preparing and always getting ready for the next one. So it's a very stressful lifestyle, but. Um, yeah, so I'm forced into breaks, which is a good thing for me, honestly, because I'm at a point now in my career where I can't shoot a thousand rounds a day for five days a week anymore. I don't want to. My shoulders can't take it. My elbows can't take it. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm tuned up and, and working on the things that I need to work on to be successful, um, but still yeah. being a good ambassador for our sport. Yeah, but putting in all those rounds years and years and years ago, I mean, you, you put in the work and, and you learned a lot through that process. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to. <laughs> put in that kind of work to maintain that, you know, what you've already achieved, I would guess I would say. Uh, where do you spend most of your time when you are practicing? Um, well, I have a private place down in Louisiana where I live. A good buddy of mine owns a couple hundred acres there and oh, sure. uh, built a small pistol bay on there. And um, I use his spot and my spot. And, uh, yeah, so that's just where I'm, I'm down in Louisiana yeah. training for the most part. Well, that's interesting to know, too. But I meant, like, where uh, in your, like, what, what kind of, like, whether it's your shooting, whether it's your movement. Uh, oh, gotcha. Like, what am I working on? Sorry. Um, bad, badly asked question here. <laughs> no, no, no. So um, Fire the host. <laughs> no. I, so there's there's so many different ways yeah. to, to train. Um, if that's the question, like how do I train and, you know, kind of what am I doing while yeah. I'm out there. But um, I try to focus on my weaknesses, right? So yeah. uh, as a shooter, I want to know what can I do to be better? Where can I grow? Where can I – where's the low-hanging fruit that I can take some more time off of these other guys? Um, so for me, it's just finding what I'm weak at and, and working on those as much as possible. My practices aren't fun. They, they, they suck, to be honest. You know, I don't do very well in practice. Um, <laughs> it's very frustrating. But when you see those little gains and those right. little wins, you're like, yes, you know, it's just it's a good feeling to see that I'm getting better. And it makes me stronger when I go to the competition because I, I do believe that I'm no disrespect to the guys that I work against, but I do believe that I'm the hardest working dude in my sport as far as the full aspect of how I train because a lot of guys will go to the gym or a lot of guys will go to the range, but I have a personal trainer and we break things down in a way that, uh, you know, getting me mentally ready, uh, getting me physically ready, uh, working on my vision stuff, working on my footwork and the yeah. older I get, it doesn't get any easier. So I need to do these things to stay competitive and it's not cheap to do these things either, but I know this is the business that I'm in and I want to be in it for a long time. Like the guys I mentioned earlier that, that's been in this industry for a while. Uh, so, but when I go to the range and it's time to practice, I'm only going to be there for maybe three hours um, because I have so much other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So when I'm there for those three hours, it's very focused and very specific on what it is I need to work on. Let's yeah. just say I need to work on shooting around a barricade for whatever reason. Well, I have certain drills that I work on that, that I do just that. You know, and then I need to work on shooting on the move. I have certain drills for that. Um, I very rarely shoot local level club matches, and it's not because I'm you know above that. It's just because I want to spend time with my kids on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want you know if I'm home on a weekend, I want to go coach a football game. I want to go watch my kid shoot a basketball like, at, a, at his game and whatever. So um, I got five of my own. So, so I- you know the deal. So, <laughs> but when it's on the range, man, it's full focus ahead, and it's got to be focused because there's so much other stuff going on. Yeah. I think a big part of what separates me from a lot of the guys on the range as well is. It's not just the, you know, going out there and putting in the work. I, I love to do the work. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I love, I'm passionate about it. I'm kind of obsessive over, you know, getting better. And getting better is not just in the range or in the gym, as I mentioned as well. It's, it's, it's more about making sure you're prepared. Um, you know, you're prepared. 
your family's prepared for you to be on the road because that's the hardest thing in the world that I've ever done is go to a match and not want to be there because my family's right. something's know, going on at home. Something exactly. Yeah. So there's all those things to be taken care of and and having the right team in place for me to make sure my equipment's right, make sure my ammo's right. And that's why working with a company like SIG, having a support system here is incredible because I can literally make a phone call on anything that I need in the industry and we have the best guys here that can really support me. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So there's two things you mentioned that I think we got to touch on. Number one, uh, you mentioned vision, working on your vision, you know, doing vision training. What does that mean? Yeah, so I think, you know, the easiest way you can do this, um, I, ideally I want my eyes to be able to see things faster. If I can see the targets faster than you, right. then I can shoot them sooner than you, right? right? And if I can see the dot lift and I can call my shot better than my competitors, well, I can make up mistakes. Um, so I think that's a very important thing to be able to do. But uh, I think an easy way overall, you just want to strengthen your eyes, make them faster, uh, be able to obtain information quickly um, and process that information quickly. So we do some vision training. And the easiest way to do it is go to YouTube or Google and just Google anything, eye speed reading exercises. Just start with that. I would tell guys, start with that. And that'll help you be able to you know, kind of start seeing things a little faster. Um, and then I have a system that I use with a personal trainer back home. It's called SynapTech. So the SynapTech system, essentially it's like a large, I don't know, 60-inch 60, 60 screen TV. Mm-hmm. You stand just two feet away from it, so this thing looks monstrous. Yeah. Um, and different things will pop up on the screen, and you got to touch okay. it really quickly and yeah, identify. Like just like a dot or whatever. Like, exactly. You're just trying to... Yeah. Yep. So hand-eye coordination is going on. It could That's be a red cool. dot, a yellow dot, but you can't touch the red one, so you only touch the yellow. Right. One, so it's a lot. It's a lot to think about and do. Um, some of the other really fun ones that are very challenging is there might be eighty or ninety letters on the screen, and eighty-nine of them. If there's ninety of them, let's say eighty-nine of them are, are lowercase uh, p's and lowercase q's, but there's one b out there, and you have to find it. Mm-hmm. And you have to find it in less than a second and a half or whatever it is. So it, it's very challenging. You just have to keep your vision open because the screen is so large. Mm-hmm. You've Got to keep your vision open. Because if you just if you look at the entire screen like this, you'll be there all day, right? Because you, and you won't find it. Believe me, I'm that guy. <laughs> and this is after a workout when you're exhausted. You're like, where is this thing? So you keep your vision open, and something catches your your eye, and then you you know then you can focus on it, touch it, yeah. and then move on to the next one. So those things help. So it's um, kind of like a, a vision, like being like awareness is kind of how I would think of it. Like just trying to train your eyes, your brain to be more aware of more stuff. Exactly. And you can, you can work on that stuff when you're driving, you know, when you're driving down the road, just try to open up your vision. Cause we get that tunnel vision so much. If you open up your vision and kind of see what's going on peripherally and then, Hey, there it is now. Boom. Now I see it and move my eyes to the target and locate a specific spot on the target. I'm going to engage and break the shot. So that's how it helps in shooting. Um, and then the cognitive stuff that goes with it, you know, just, Hey, you know, so I see it, it's red, so I can't touch it. Oh, now I see it. It's yellow. Now I can touch it. You know, so yeah. learning, you know, how kind of putting it all together. Uh, I'm just trying to be that complete shooter as best I can because I don't know if anybody's going to that extreme. Maybe they are. You know, I don't want to discredit what other guys are doing, but I just like to believe in my head when I go to the range that I'm the most prepared guy there, right. and it gives me the greatest confidence because right. of it. Yeah, well, I mean, to your point, I mean, everybody's got their own ways of doing things, different yeah. approaches, yeah. And, and arguably, I mean, you could say that just about everybody knows themselves probably better than That's anybody right. else. Mm-hmm. But clearly what you're doing is working. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and here we're, we're, we're giving out all the secrets to your competitors. Right. Too. Right. I, know well, they all, I know they all listen. That's right. Yeah, they better. <laughs> hey, but, you know, use it all you want. Just you got to put in the work still. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, so vision training. I, I'm definitely going to do that more. I, I just came across something recently, and I saw that screen. Uh, okay. The Synaptech. Synaptech, yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, I want to find something like that because mm-hmm. I was really fascinated with it. Uh, I, I've been laying in bed recently with this uh, 
It's just the simplest app ever, and all it is just about reaction time. Oh, cool. You know, so I'm just watching these lights or whatever, and whenever it, whenever I see whatever thing it is, go from red to green or lights disappear entirely, whatever the cue is supposed to be, and then just, you know, oh, neat. just tap the screen. You have to like, give me that app. Uh, I'll, I'll, send it, I'll send it your way. Uh, but anyway, so mindset. Mindset is critical, key. I mean, like, and, and to your point, you mentioned a moment ago about how it's really hard to be your best you when you got other stuff in the background, you know, yeah. just, just, you know, crowding your thought, your, your mind, your focus, all that. So what are some of the things that, you know, someone that's developing coming up in the sport, hopefully coming up, I'm working on things here, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I want that. That's where I think is my weakest point in shooting. I think I, I, I shoot pretty well, but when I go to matches, I, you know, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. I'm convinced that it's, you know, it's, it's all up in my head. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people say that as well. A lot of people say, hey, you know, how do you deal with first match, first stage jitters? Or, you know, how, how do you get to where your match scores are the same as your practice scores kind right, of thing? Right, um, And it is a challenge. And it's just, for me, it's just experience. You know, it's just going through it and putting myself in these most awkward situations, like at range day and media day, hmm. competing against all these people or competing against my teammates, but in front of all these people. Right. right. So, and that was just for fun. But you put yourself in those situations for fun. And it makes you more prepared when you're in these situations down the road. So I just say, number one is just consistently going out there and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And it'll help you learn how to deal with that. And everybody's going to deal with it a little bit differently. For me, I found over the years that, and because I've worked with some mental management coaches and I was in the Army for a number of years. And, and I worked sure. with some of, our, some of the some really incredible people at West Point about mental management. But none of this stuff worked for me. Like, you know listening to the CDs about telling me how great I am and those things, it didn't work. I mean, it may, may work for some guys, but me sure. personally, what worked was results. Like just putting in the effort and the work. I think Michael Jordan said, you know, you know, you put in all the work and then the results will just kind of come. And that, that's kind of how it was for me too. It's like, I can't have, I can't lie to myself. I, I just, I'm not that way. I'm the guy that was getting beat up on by all these other amazing shooters for years and years and years in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. I was starting to come into the, you know, to the top of the game. And how do I win? It was just going out there and putting in the work and knowing that I was better than them because I was more prepared. So it was a confidence thing for me. Uh, and it was a sense of comfort knowing I couldn't do anymore. I would literally walk on the range and look around and say, there's no way those guys did what I just did the last three weeks. It's, it's no way. Like, and, so, and when I knew that, yeah. it gave me a sense of comfort. And then the better I got and the more that I, I would prepare and learn these things over the years, um, it wasn't good enough just to be better. I wanted to be 5% better. I wanted to be 10% better. I wanted to be 50 I always wanted to be better, better, better because there's so many things you cannot control in the range either. It could be lighting conditions. could be weather. Um, or it could just be your competitors getting a score that you don't think he deserves because it wasn't what he shot or maybe the timer was wrong. Whatever it is, those are the things that can really take you off your game and make you worried about somebody else. Um, but I just learned over the years you'd be 5% better to cover all the BS and forget about that stuff and focus on you. And, but to answer your question again, it was just for me, it was just putting in the work and knowing yeah. that I couldn't do anymore. Like, I, I just I physically couldn't do anything yeah. else to, to be prepared for this. So why stress about it now? Yes, it's stressful. Yes, you want to win. Yes, that's why you're there. But have fun. Enjoy it. And uh, now it's just time to go out there and take the test because you already put in all the work. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I, I find myself doing better when I think I have that approach. But then there's mm. those times, too, you kind of still, at least for me, I, there's, there's kind of the expected yeah. Results, right? Versus actual results. And that <laughs> doesn't always line up. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I, don't, I, I haven't mastered it yet, but it's all about, for me, trying to 
get those expectations under control and yeah. just manage everything, you know, and more you know appropriately. what's tough, too, is, like, you have those expectations for you. Right. <clears throat> but me, I have those same expectations for me, but I have thousands of other people who expect me to do something, too. And that's a whole nother level, dude. It's, 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 okay, I don't even want to think about that, bro. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, what do you, what do you mean Max lost? You know, at some point that's going to happen, and I know it's going to happen, but I'm doing my very best to avoid it, but it, that's that's a whole other level of it. So I would just say, besides the mindset stuff, is try to have a routine that's going to get you comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you watch some of these amazing basketball players at the free throw line. They might bounce the ball three times, spin it, bounce the ball two times, and then shoot it, whatever their routine is. Right. You should have a pre-shot routine before every stage. Yep. You know, when you're, when you're three shooters up until you, you know, when you're in the hole, you're preparing a certain way, you're visualizing. When you get off the line, you immediately prepare for the next one so you don't have to worry about if, you know, you talk to a buddy in between, oh, I forgot to load my mags kind of a thing. But have some sort of a pre-shot routine that's going to put you into that mental mindset of it's go time, it's time to lock in and, um, and, and ultimately relax you because you're prepared, you know everything's ready to go, you're, you're, you're ready, your equipment's ready. There's nothing else you can do at yeah. that point. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, you got a lot going up. What's your first uh, major match of 2020? I'm hoping to go to the Florida Open. I haven't been there in a couple of years. That's uh, on Valentine's Day, so I'm not super popular at the house right now. But um, <laughs> I do have a cool present that I picked her up while I was here, so um, <laughs> hopefully that'll help. Uh, but So that's what I'm hoping. I'm planning on gotcha. Florida Open. I haven't been there in a couple of years. And with this being a world shoot year, I've always felt Florida Open is the most difficult match we'll shoot all year. It's super hard. And it's the one that everybody's the least prepared for, including myself, because we're so busy with the holidays and with SHOT Show and so many things going on. Yeah. You don't have time to really train. And a lot of people have weather issues. Um, yeah. But I do know that when I go to that match, win or lose, I'm more prepared for the year. It kind of kickstarts me and says, hey, these are the 10 things you suck at. Go home and practice these mm. because that match will show it to you really quickly. Mm. So I'm hoping to go out there in February. That's awesome. Well, I hope you're able to make it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, keep the wife happy. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Actually, speaking of weather, just one last thing here. You talked about, uh, you know, obviously having to deal with weather. That, that that can be a factor, obviously, in matches. That can be something that affects someone's mindset greatly because maybe they're a fair weather practice, you know, practice or shooter. Um, is that something where you look out the window, you're like, I got to go to range today. Oh, man, that looks kind of rough. And are you excited because, like, it's an opportunity to tackle that? or, or you're? Like, it depends on the day. <laughs> it depends on the day, man. Um, but, yeah, so I... I when I'm, because I have certain range days that I'm scheduled to go, yeah, and uh, I have to go no matter what, unless the range is flooded, I got to go there because those are the days I have scheduled because I have so many other things going on that are scheduled, whether it be the gym stuff or work stuff mm-hmm. or family stuff. Um, so yeah, so I, I do go to the range no matter what the conditions are, uh, as long as I don't get. One time I got stuck back there, so I just need to be <laughs> careful of that. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, so I do use that as a challenge. Like, hey, it's raining. If it's raining at nationals, you can't quit. Yeah. If it's lightning, yeah, we can back off. But if it's raining, you're going to be out there. And I've, I've shot matches before where I'm literally ankle deep in water and you can't find your mag. So it's one of those things oh, that you just got to do and yeah. you got to deal with, you know? That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the maintenance of, of those mags also yeah. rough. Yeah, well, no longer open days, so it's a lot easier now on the maintenance. <laughs> right. Well, good. Max, we wish you the best in 2020. Well, thank you. I, I look forward to seeing how everything goes, the world shoot, regardless of the result. Yeah. you're going to do great cool thank you yeah. you know that's just who you are and obviously you're putting in the work so good luck I'll to be you ready thank you yeah awesome appreciate thanks for being it, on the podcast thanks for having me absolutely appreciate yep. it all righty well, that brings us to the end here thanks for listening hey just for a quick reminder head on over to concealedcarry.com for all the latest and greatest shot show and industry news and other great articles editorials opinion pieces tactical training pieces you know all that jazz 
And also, I might just mention, we're kind of getting towards the end of the month, which means soon we'll be ending this month's Shooter Ready Challenge drill. And if you'd like to participate and have a chance to win 200 rounds of free 9mm ammunition, sponsored by AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com, well, head on over to ShooterReadyChallenge.com. Learn how to participate and set up these simple dry fire drills using the Laser X software available at laserapp.com. So with that, that's a wrap. We're going to let you go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.